Bow your head in prayer with me. Father, we do just glorify and honor and worship you today. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, we just acknowledge everything that we sang. And today, Father, we want to talk about how to live lives that are pleasing and meaningful and glorifying to you. Father, we just acknowledge we fall short a lot in our attitudes, in our actions, in our behavior. And we want to do better. So, Lord, bless us. Draw us near to you. Help us to see Christ in, in more compelling ways. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. Sound pretty excited this morning. <laughs> Going to make me do a lot of heavy lifting this morning, huh? Morning. You, you can always just lie to me in those moments, you know, act like you're just full of energy and, and goodwill. But hey, today we are continuing our, our sermon series on mere Christianity. And we've been talking about um, this idea that C.S. Lewis had done these radio lectures in the 40s, and they became this book called Mere Christianity. And, and it just was this, this simple explanation of what, it, what Christians believe, what it means to be a Christian, how to, how to live. And it just was in a, in a very sort of simple and clear way, and it became really compelling and, and helpful to the world. So in this series, we've been just sort of talking about, like, how would we explain the basics of Christianity today. And uh, we talked about just kind of some of the big things on week one, you know, is, is science just sort of made God irrelevant to the world and kind of dealt with a little bit of that. And last week, Jovan just kind of talked about some of the, the core beliefs of Christianity. And today we're going to talk about the morality of Christianity, or we could say the ethics of Christianity, or how Christians are supposed to live and behave, that, that whole topic. You with me on that? I'm going to kind of use all those words interchangeably. And, uh, and, and when we get into that, I, I've always been haunted by this quote by Gandhi. Gandhi said this. He said, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That, that has always stung a little bit. Because if, if Gandhi was saying that, if, if he said, Chet, I like your Christ— I don't like you because you're so unlike your Christ. I really couldn't argue with him. Anyone else? And, and sometimes as a Christian, we, we do really fall short, you know? And, and many times people outside of the faith, sometimes they're like, why, why would I want to be part of a faith with people like you? Anyone? I'm sorry, I'm coming off hot this morning. I know these are unpleasant things to, these are unpleasant things to think about, but, but can we just be honest and real today, right? I've, I've had over the year, I've been in pastoral ministry for a minute, and a lot of people are like, I, I don't want to be a Christian because of Christians. That's it. That's the reason. And sometimes, you know, I'm like, you know, you got a point, <laughs> right? And sometimes I'm the point. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm really upset about that <laughs> in my own life. But, but I want to speak just to that for a second because, you know, many people call, say, man, Christians are, are a bunch of hypocrites. And again, we are. We are, right? We, we you know, love God on Sunday and, and we might be terrible to our family Sunday afternoon. We sing about the glory and the greatness of God and then we're a knucklehead an hour later. Or at least maybe I'm speaking from my own experience here. 
Um, and and there, there, there's, a, there's a challenge in that. But, but I want to also say this, though. If, if you go to a gym, and you walk into that gym, and you look around, and you're like, you know what? Most of these people are not in great shape. This gym stinks. This gym is a fraud. This gym, this equipment must not work because I'm looking around. Everyone here in this gym is not in shape. You wouldn't think that, right? You would go in and be like, wow, I commend them for being here. And I'm glad that they're here. And this is a place where they can get in shape, right? And church, in some ways, you have to understand Christianity in that way, right? You don't walk into the church and look around and be like, all these people are out of spiritual shape. This place stinks. No, you have to realize that's why we come. Does that make sense? Like that, that you, don't, you don't go to Planet, I'm canceling Planet Fitness, whatever that place is called. Planet 19 Fitness Globo Gym, whatever. I'm canceling it because no one's in shape here. No, that, that's not how it works. We go there, and, and the onus is on us. Yeah, guess what? We're going to sometimes skip a lot. Sometimes we're going to eat Mitchell's ice cream <laughs> repeatedly, right? But, but the goal, the goal is that we're, we're not going there because we've arrived. We're, we're going there to be transformed. And, and in many ways, that, that's what we have to understand about the Christian life, right? You, you could even maybe argue Christians aren't hypocrites because the very first step of being a Christian is saying, I am completely doomed without help. I, I can't figure it out. I can't do it right. Right? That's the first step. Uh, we call that repentance. We, we call that going before God and Jesus Christ saying, I, I'm a mess and I am hopeless. And if you don't save me, I am completely lost. And so when Gandhi says that, I get it. But I also have to say, yeah, Gandhi, but that's the point. You're right. I am unlike Christ. And I always will be, but that's why I need him. You with me on this? That's why I'm desperate for him. That's why I am a Christian. I'm not a Christian because I'm like, oh, I, like, I look like that guy and live like that guy. No. I'm a Christian because I'm nothing like that guy. But I need everything that he has to give me. You with me on this? And so when we talk about ethics, I want to I keep that in mind. And just let me say two other things about this, and then I promise I'll move on. Here's the other thing. Christians do not behave a certain way to earn anything. And you have to understand this. If you're new to the Christian faith or you're exploring the, the Christian faith, this is how we behave, how we live, how we act, what we do as Christians, we are not trying to store away stuff in our spiritual 401k so that when we retire, we're going to be okay. That, that is not the Christian life. That is not the motivation for the Christian life. That is completely anti everything the Christian life is about. It is not about earning, but it's about living differently because of what we've received from God. And church, I'm telling you, that distinction makes all the difference in the world. And if you're not a Christian, let me just tell you, it really does kill Christians when we dishonor God and we realize it. 
It, it really does. And I know sometimes, because here we, we all make mistakes. We all make more, more than we want to, more than we hope to. And if you are a follower of Christ, you've been one sometime, you know there is nothing more painful than knowing you've dishonored God. And it, and it kills you. So yes, Christians mess up, but, but they don't do it without some deep, deep pain and deep change. You with me on this? So I just want to give you a little perspective on that. And today I want to talk about this idea of, of what is really meant to drive our lives as Christians, our behavior in the world. Now, if you are a Christian, I think this will be helpful to you just to kind of rethink about your life. If you're not one, you're exploring, I think it'll also be helpful just to understand the drive a little bit more. And today, I'm going to look at the book of Revelation and share a story with you. I've been in an awesome Revelation book study. Amazing people are with me in this group. It's so fun. And, and we've been digging into Revelation, and I know Revelation is like uh, it, you know, you hear all kinds of absolutely crazy stuff about it. Look, it, it is not a puzzle to unlock and figure out how the world's going to end. I'm just going to tell you that right now. It, it has so much more to say than that. It is a, it is a, a picture of who Jesus Christ is. And, and today I want to dig into uh, Revelation chapter 5, and I'm going to read just a few verses to you, and then I'll explain it. It said this, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain, to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and glory and honor and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Now, I know there's a lot. You're like, what did, I, what did he just read here? But, but it's actually pretty simple. Revelation 4 and 5, it's this, this picture. Imagine a throne room. It's the throne room of God. That, that's the image here. And in Revelation 5, what, what's happening here is that they are, they are worshiping this, this person called the Lamb. You might know him as Jesus Christ. But it's this idea of the lamb that was slain because it's referencing the work that he did and his death and his resurrection, the very center of the Christian faith. And it's this, this beautiful scene of worship. And chapter 4 has another scene of worship in it. But, but here's what, what's so powerful to me about this, that this is really kind of a picture of what the drive is for the Christian life. Here's what I'm going to argue today, that, that the, the drive for living differently is all rooted out of worship. That's what's meant to drive how we treat other people. That's what's meant to drive how we live our lives, how we think about our values, how, how we de decide what's important and what's not important is this idea of worship. And worship is the drive for all healthy Christian behavior. And I want to dig into this today. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, It seems then that if we are to think about morality, we must think of it in these three departments. Relations between man. So God cares about how we treat each other as a Christian. If you're a Christian, you can't treat people however you want. You have to understand how God wants you to treat people. Which is going to be different at times in your natural impulse and desire. 
Second, God also cares about things inside of each man. God cares about your motives. Now, no one may know your real motives but him, but they matter to him. Right? I can do all the right things, but if I'm doing it for the wrong reason, it's not what God intends. You with me on this? And then God also, put, throw that quote right back up, uh, also cares about relations between man and the power that made him. Now, what this means is, is that if God exists and if God created you, who owns you? Do you? Or does God? And if God owns you, don't you think you should know the owner's intent? Have you ever had someone borrow your car and be like, I'm going to a, a crash derby, demolition derby, whatever they're called. I'm going to it this weekend. Do, do you care? You'd be like, you better believe I care. Yeah, because that's my car. You're not doing whatever you want with it, right? Or someone took your car and they're like, you know, I don't really like that color. I'm going to go paint it a different color. You'd be like, well, time out. You don't own that. You've got you to gotta care about what I want for it. I remember years ago, we, we did a, a ministry and we had to, you know, set up, take down. So we had a bunch of the white tables and we had left a white table behind. And some kids got into this ministry space and they took it and they used it as a sled, down this huge hill. And we got it back. And then, to just to clarify things, we wrote on the other, underneath, this is not a sled. <laughs> this is not the owner's intent for you to use this as a sled. This is a table. And it seemed to help a lot. We never had that issue <laughs> afterwards. Right? You don't, you don't like it when people take your stuff and use it in the wrong way. And so what Lewis is saying is that, hey, if your life, if you're not just a collection of cells, but you are the creation of the divine, then that creates a whole different dynamic, doesn't it? And how we live has to be run through the filter of that. Now, let's dig into this. And, and let me just kind of give you a couple ideas from this passage. Number one, Christians, one of the reasons we're called to di live differently is because we are meant to live with an eternal perspective. When you read Revelation, what, what you will notice is that this worship, this, this theme, it goes on and on and on. That's kind of part of the picture, that there's this continuous, ongoing, it started a long time ago, and it's just going to continue ever after, that, that God exists. He's being worshiped. In Revelation, he's called the one who was, the one who is, the one who is to come. That God is eternal. But guess what? You are an eternal creature too. Do you exist 70, 80, 90, 100 years? No, the scriptures say you are an eternal creature. You and I. And because of that, that dynamic of time affects how we live today. Because think about it this way. C.S. Lewis says that today, if you're just a little bit selfish today, and I know most of us maybe are a little bit selfish. Um, but, but, but if we are, what happens when you take that little amount and you multiply it over millions of years? What happens? That little, that, that little brokenness in us. What, what happens when it's multiplied over a million years? C.S. Lewis says you become a hellish creature. Right? Because time compounds things, doesn't it? 
That's why we like investments and savings account, right? Because it's, it's going to grow something that's there. It might start small, but compound interest is an amazing thing. And your soul has that too. And so if we are eternal creatures, then if I'm a little bit off today, what happens five million years from here on that trajectory? On the other hand, if I'm moving closer to who God wants me to be, I become something much better. You with me on this? And so that's why our motives, that's why all the stuff, that's why as far as of Christ, we are always kind of saying with what David said, God, search my heart and try me. Find if there's any grievous way in me and root it out because we are eternal creatures. Here's the other thing. Have you ever noticed, anyone ever struggle with regret in their life? Yeah, yeah, me too. And that's such a painful emotion. I, and I, I've wrestled with that before, and, I, and I've thought like, man, what, what, what are we supposed to do with this? But you know, the one thing that I find fascinating about regret is how you can move a few years, you know, into your life, past whatever moment you're regretting, and you look at it so much differently, right? You look at it, and you're like, if I had that moment back, my approach to life, my behavior would look this way. And, and is it just think about how much time changes your perspective on how you should live. Now, how does eternity change our perspective on how we should live? You with me on this? If, if I can see a noticeable difference that, man, 10 years ago, I would do things a lot different. Five years ago, I would do things a lot different. If, if time can create that level of transformation in my thinking, what does that mean then if, if we are eternal creatures? You with me on this? And, and, and we have to live in that way. We, Christians are called to, pr to play the long game. Who are you today? What trajectory are we on? How is how, is how I'm living today going to feel in eternity? Am I going to be like, oh yeah, that was all worth it? I'm like, oh man, I want all that time back. I want it all back so I can do it different. These are the things that, that make us live differently. Now here's, I think, maybe the big issue in, in our lives is that there is throne confusion. If you notice in this scene, this scene is centered on the throne. And can I tell you, you and I are not on it. Did you hear that? You and I are not on that throne. That throne doesn't have your initials on it. Doesn't have a, a little plaque that says property of CJB. Um, that throne is Jesus Christ's throne. He's the one on it. And what happens in our life, and, and, and what C.S. Lewis too would say, is, is our greatest sin is that we want to take what's God's and act as if we were him. That we want the authority. Hey, that's my throne. I'm going to live life the way that I want. This is, this is, no one can tell me what to do. We want maybe the glory. Notice all that worship. It's towards Christ. It's not towards us. We want the privilege of the throne. But here's what Christians have to realize. That throne belongs to God. 
And I believe the greatest struggle in your heart and my heart will be being confused and somehow making ourselves believe that that throne is meant for us at some level or another. Lewis says this. He, he just calls this pride. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. You feel that this morning? <laughs> yeah, there was a time in my life I actually thought I was humble. Totally, totally deceived, right? Because it, it's so insidious. He goes on to say this, For pride is spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love, contentment, or even common sense. In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that, and therefore you know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. And, and when we as followers of Christ are looking down, we're not seeing the throne. We're not seeing this picture in Revelation. And we're not living our lives in the right way. So let me talk about one last part, throne alignment. Throne alignment. Here's what I love so much about this picture, is that this book, Revelation, was being written in a time of persecution where followers of Jesus, they had very little power. They were subject to imprisonment. They were subject to uh, abuse. They were subject to injustice. They, you know, were risking their very lives for their faith. And here, they get this picture of the, the, the curtains being opened up and the reality of what's really going on being made clear. And what do they see? They see God firmly in control being fully worshipped. And what I love about that is that as far as of Christ, we need to learn to always have that dual perspective. There is the world that we, we're going to wake up to Monday morning. It's the world that we know. There's bills, there's bosses, there's world events, there's leaders, there's politics, there's all of that. But what John is also showing us, yeah, but that's not the full picture. The real world is the one behind it, where God is on the throne. And I want you to know that even when the worst things happen in your life and my life, Christ is still on the throne being worshipped. And when you and I hold that perspective, I really believe it gives us a unique faith and hope in this world. If your God is still on the throne, he's working for your good. He's worthy to be trusted. He's faithful. He, he will not forsake you. And sometimes we need, as far as a Christ, we, we get so... Uh, uh, caught up in this world and we get this tunnel vision and we start living as if the world we see and touch is the real world and the throne room's the fake world. But what Revelation is showing us is no, you got to live from the throne room to earth, not earth to the throne room. You with me on this? Because when you are constantly perceiving the throne room, then how you go through this life will be radically different. 
John is they're saying, hey, the Roman emperor, he's not in charge. I know it looks like it. He's not the one that holds the keys to your eternity. The one who sits on the throne does, and he's in good shape. Trust him. Follow him. Walk with him. Here's the second thing that we can align ourselves to the throne, that we have to get better at delighting in the worthiness of Jesus Christ. You notice in this picture in Revelation, they just, they're crying out. It's just a scene of worship. It's a scene of worship where there is just uh, these phenomenal creatures and these untold numbers. And, and what are they doing? They're just declaring the majesty of Jesus Christ. And they are delighting in it. Man, I, I really believe we as Christians, we've got to stoke the flames in our heart for the worthiness of Jesus Christ. Man, if Jesus Christ just feels like run-of-the-mill to us because we've been a Christian so long, or if Christ is, is just no longer compelling to us, we need to fan the flames of our heart and remind ourselves of who he is and what he's done. If our just kind of, our, our love for him, our, our delight in him has grown a little bit cold, we need to heat it up. Because he's worthy of it. And the more that you delight in him, the more you and I will live differently. Because we don't live for love, we live out of love. Right? When I, when I start to, to lose my reverence of Christ, I'm going to lose my ability to navigate life the way that I should. You with me on this? And our hearts need aligned on this throne. Here's the third thing. We've got to adjust our lives to the values of the throne room. At the end of the day, do you, do you see what matters in eternity? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. God does not exist for us. We exist for him. He, he is God. We are his servants. We are his children. And so when we get beyond this life, what is going to matter it's how we loved him, how we served him, how we worshiped him. Those are the things that are going to matter. I was with some, some buddies recently, and, and uh, we were uh, um, kind of running late. I thought we were going to be finished doing what we were doing a lot earlier, but they wanted to stay a lot later. And, and I told Allie I would be home earlier. And as this was all transpiring, I was like, well, Allie's not going to be happy about this. And I was like, I could make her mad or I could make them mad, you know, because I knew they didn't want to leave. And so I debated it for about five minutes. And I was like, I'm going to make them mad because um, I can live with that. <laughs> and so I like just kind of like rushed everybody and was, you know, kind of like being a little bit, you know, uh, assertive, let's say. And, uh, and just, yeah, um, a little bit pushier or whatever, just kind of wrapping things up. And, you know, and, and we did. And, uh, you know, I was like, I was pretty proud of myself. I was like, I got that one right, you know? Y'all aren't giving me any credit for that. That's a, that's a big deal for a guy. It, yeah, husbands just went silent on that. Leave, yeah, you guys need to watch Band of Brothers here and help, help out a little bit more. Um, but anyway, but, you know, it's, it's kind of one of those moments, like, hey, I, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to please everyone here, so who do I want to disappoint? And, you know, that's a lot of life, isn't it? 
I'm not going to be able to please God and please man. Who am I living for today? Who am I living for? You know what? I, here, here's the truth, and if you're a follower of Christ, you know this. You can live with the disapproval of man. You cannot live with the disapproval of God. Right? You, you can do it for a period, but it, 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 it crushes you, as it should. But yet, you know, the disappointment of, of people in service, of honoring God, all that does is embolden your faith, right? All that does is embolden your love for Christ. And, and the more that, that we see this picture of the throne, the more it reminds us, what really matters here? What really matters? Because not all the time, not all the time, but sometimes you're going to disappoint one way or the other, and you got to make a choice. This reminds us the right choice to make. And then here's lastly, what I love about, what I love about this scene, church, is it's just a passionate worship of Jesus Christ. God does not want your worthiness. He wants your worship. We, we so often, we get so caught up in our own sense of, of worthiness. And here's what Revelation shows us. We're not worthy for the throne room. We're not worthy to be in the presence of the Lamb. We're not worthy for the grace of God. That, that question doesn't matter in this. The question is, though, will you give him your worship? God doesn't want your worthiness. That's why we go to him. We're sinners saved by grace. God wants your worship. And not that he needs it, but you need it for your own heart. We need it for our own life. And I love this picture of passionate worship. Now, I, I read an interesting article this week. It says that research, research shows that most people complain every minute, at least one time per minute of conversation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> one minute per, what do you think about that? Isn't that crazy? And it talked about then like how, you know, that all like uh, becomes habitual and then it paints our perspective of life and all these sort of you know, negative things. And, um, and I, think, I think whether that's true or not, here, here's what I believe. As far as of Christ, we can complain a lot. And we can complain a lot about the behavior of other people without really searching our own behavior. And I think, honestly, that's what really annoys people outside of the Christian faith. I never met Gandhi you're not surprised by that. <laughs> Pretty sure he died before I was born. But anyway, um, but I wonder if that really what is what he was getting at. I wonder, I wonder if Christians, I wonder, church, if instead our drive was to reverence God with our lives. I wonder if, if, if our, the energy that we put into complaining about how the world doesn't reverence God, how the world doesn't behave like they should, how all these other people don't do it. I wonder if we put all that energy into saying, how are we reverencing God with our own lives? See, I think the problem is not out there. 
I think the problem is we haven't shown the world that our God is worthy of the real worship that he deserves. What I'm more concerned about is not that the world doesn't reverence God, but that the church doesn't reverence God like it should. That we've become so lackadaisical in our worship, in our love, in our service, in our delight in God, that of course it's impacting other people because speed of the leader, speed of the team. You with me on this church? And I wonder today if that may be where we really need to begin is just to, just to, to have a renewal in our hearts and in our minds to just reverence God more in our lives, to just honor him, to worship him. And if that is our pursuit, our life will follow in the right way behind that. You with me on this church? If you strive to just honor God, truly, every good thing will follow after that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We acknowledge, Lord, that we have not always given you the worship that you deserve, the worship that is, is representative of who you are and your good and holy name. And so, Father, this morning, we just want to come, Lord, come back to just this basic reality that you are the God who is eternally worthy. Father, we look at this scene in Revelation, and I want it to stir our affection, our hearts, our passion. And Lord, we could just see it in a fresh way, and you are good, you are holy. And we could have just a desire to honor you for it. Father, I know that will make us live differently. I know worship is always the beginning of a different life, of a different approach, of a different attitude, of different behavior. So Father, this morning, change our capacity to worship. Change our capacity to reverence you. Fill us with that desire just to pray the prayer of Jesus. Make your name holy in my life. Be lifted up in my life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Help us in this. In Jesus' name, amen.